Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Cannab Book Club here on Resonate Radio, available on all the major podcast platforms. Thank you so much for your support so far. This is officially episode 10 of our full-length episodes here. I'm really excited to present this one to you all. It is on polyploid... polyploidalization. Hopefully I said that one correctly. Dr. Anna will let me know if I didn't. If you want to join us here on the Canna Book Hub, you can. We are live on Clubhouse on Mondays at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can also join the Telegram chat for Resonate Radio to know which papers that we're discussing each week. You can also catch us live on YouTube and Twitch. Let's sit back and get into it. The Canna Book Club, everybody. We should be good to go. All right. Welcome, everyone. My name is Casey Alberon, and I have a bachelor's in environmental biology. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles area and moved up to Humboldt County to go to school at HSU. And now I'm working in the cannabis extraction industry. Um, but I was left, I left college without feeling like, I can continue to learn science. So I met the resonators and here we are with this awesome cannabis science book club. So every week we select a paper and share it with each other and um, we read it, or at least um, me and my fellow co-hosts do the harder part of the reading. Um, we, we encourage the audience to at least skim and get the gist of the paper so that when we come together every Monday night, we're able to dissect it together. Um, so that is me. And let me go ahead and introduce Dr. Anna Schwabe. Hello. Um, I am Dr. Anna Schwabe, uh, also known as Dr. Annabis. Um, I have a background in evolutionary biology, plant population genetics, and I have a PhD in cannabis science, focusing on cannabis genetics and variation among phenotypes and uh, also biological education. So, um, and I am here with the resonators to read scientific literature on cannabis and help um, put it into language that people can understand, basically. So um, this is a great paper, and I'm excited to talk about it. And I'll turn the mic over to Molly. Thank you, Dr. Anna. Uh, my name is Molly. Um, I am the other managing partner at Resonate, Can Resonate Cannabis. Uh, my tongue is being twisted all day today, so that's the purpose of having English as a second language. Um, I uh, cultivate cannabis. I'm also a medical patient. Um, I'm mostly right now responsible for all the, um, you know, the in-house testing that we do on a lot of the uh, different products, um, love propagation. So this topic is definitely um, a lot of fun for me to kind of go through. Um, it's definitely an interesting read. And I felt like 
this one in particular would be um you know not as hard probably to read as a lot of the other ones for the uh, growers because a lot of the terms seem to be pretty uh, familiar so i'm really excited to go over the breakdown uh, with lovely casey and anna and i'm complete so the way this um, goes is uh, me and my fellow co-hosts will introduce the paper um, we'll usually each take a turn like per section of the paper uh, the way a scientific journal article usually goes is there's an abstract that summarizes how things went and what what was found and you know there's like an it's kind of like a regular kind of paper it's got an introduction there's um so our past two weeks we've um the the papers that we selected were more of a, a review type of article which is like looking into the scientific research out there that's available and kind of taking all that and writing a new finding or just kind of compilating it into one nice summarizing paper. So those were very simple and were kind of just background information, whereas now we're kind of heading more into the meat of the scientific writing. Um, we have a more experimental scientific paper today. The paper is regarding polyploidization. Um, Dr. Anna will be able to help us out with uh, describing a lot of what that involves. It's very heavy on plant science, but it's when it comes down to it, if you've ever taken like an intro biology or something like that, you probably you probably know what we're talking about we're talking genetics here but it gets a little crazy chromosomes they can split and create all kinds of different organism types but here we're we're talking about hap um, diploids and polyploids so i'm going to start off just by reading the abstract and then we'll go from there so the title is Polyploidization for the Genetic Improvement of Cannabis Sativa. Cannabis Sativa L is a diploid species cultivated through the ages as a source of fiber, food, and secondary metabolites with therapeutic and recreational properties. Polyploidization is considered as a valuable tool in the genetic improvement of crop plants. Although this method has been used in hemp type cannabis, it has never been applied to drug type strains. Here, we describe the development of tetraploid drug-type cannabis lines and test whether this transformation alters yield or the profile of important secondary metabolites, aka THC, CBD, or terpenes. The mitotic spindle inhibitor, orizalin, was used to induce polyploids in a THC-CBD-balanced drug-type strain of cannabis sativa. Cultured axillary bud explants were exposed to a range of orizalin concentrations for 24 hours. Flow cytometry was used to assess the poly, sorry, the ploidy of regenerated shoots. Treatment with 20 to 40 micrometer, micro... Molar. Molar, thanks. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Um, treatment with 20 to 40 micromolar of orizalin was produced or produced the highest number of tetraploids. 
Tetraploid clones were assessed for changes in morphology and chemical profile compared to diploid control plants. Tetraploid fan leaves were larger, with stomata about 30% larger and about half as dense compared to diploids. Trichome density was increased by about 40% on tetraploid sugar leaves, coupled with significant changes in the terpene profile and a 9% increase in CBD that was significant in buds. No significant increase in yield or dried bud or THC content. Oh, sorry. No increase in yield of dried bud or THC content was observed. This research lays important groundwork for the breeding and development of new cannabis strains with diverse chemical profiles of benefit to medical and recreational users. So I know that was a lot. <laughs> it usually is. But that's pretty much the gist of it. But let's, let's break it down a little further. Uh, Molly, would you take it away with the introduction, please? Thank you, Casey. Uh, yeah, this introduction is actually pretty simple. Um, you know, basically we're going over <clears throat> the uh, origins of cannabis and the fact that, you know, it has been used as a plant for, you know, over 5,000 years as a source for fiber food medicine and recreation. Um, obviously, you know, recently we've had a lot of interest in cannabis due to the medicinal effects, um, especially the treatment of uh, epilepsy, pain and nausea that is associated with the cancer treatment. Um, in Canada, you know, we have at least two dozen conditions uh, for which cannabis is uh, recognized to be as an effective treatment. Um, and uh, even though there is a lot of different uh, metabolites that are present in cannabis, the two cannabinoids that are present in the most higher concentrations, or, you know, rather say that the two cannabinoids that we were breeding for in the last few decades uh, have been THC and CBD. Um, you know, we go a little bit over the fact that THC is a psychoactive where CBD does not have the um, intoxicating uh, properties. And um, also, you know, uh, there is a mention of terpenes. Um, that is a pretty important chemical which contributes to the smell and taste, but also they bring along a lot of the therapeutic properties. So all of these metabolites um, are produced uh, and stored within the wonderful trichomes. And uh, uh, the other thing that is kind of, you know, we're going over here is that there are a few um, medicinal products that we have in the markets um, that have the THC or CBD concentrations. Um, the most common brand names that we know right now are all synthetically derived cannabinoids, uh, which is, you know, Sativex, um, Epidiolex, and um, etc. And, uh, you know, developing a wider variety of cannabis strains may be preferable so that we can have new formulations of the active ingredients because even though we do have these products available with the isolated, um, you know, THC or CBD, having the full plant and experiencing, um, you know, the wide range of things that it has to offer um, is a lot more preferable for a lot of folks, my, myself included. <laughs> um, and uh, historically, obviously, the new cannabis strains have been developed through the conventional breeding methods. And um, these methods can be imprecise, and you also require a lot of the time because you need multiple generations um, of the traits that you would like to obtain. Um, and the stability uh, can be achieved like over a period of a quite a long time. Um, 
And one of the strategies to accelerate the breeding development is a chromosome doubling event, which is called the polyploidization. Um, so this is why um, the team that was working on this paper was investigating this method for developing improved cannabis strains, which was uh, one of their main goals. And uh, so polyploidization is a common in the plant kingdom and has been associated with the increased genetic diversity in some plant lineages. Um, and, you know, usually it says that desirable consequences for plant breeding usually include the buffering of uh, deleterious mutations, increased uh, heterozygosity and hybrid vigor. So like typically the polyploids have the phenotypic traits that are distinct from diploids, which includes the larger flowers or leaves, um, as well as the increased uh, active metabolite concentration in tetraploids uh, was reported for you know numerous medicinal plants, um, such as Artemisia annua, Papaverus somniferum, I'm like butchering these names probably, and there's a few more. So um, the introduction of some of these polyploid traits would be beneficial for the cultivation of cannabis. Um, and cannabis is a diploid plant with 20 chromosomes. So doubling that set should allow for more flexibility to try and increase the potency or tailor the cannabinoid ratios in it. Um, they mentioned that there's a handful of studies that support the theory that polyploid cannabis might have a higher potency, although the results are mixed um, because some of the studies were finding decreases in THC. And, um, you know, the thing is that a lot of these studies have been conducted with hemp. So the effects of polyploidization on drug type cannabis strains so far is unknown. And um, the polyploidy can be induced through application of antimetotic agents to seed seedlings, in vivo shoot tips, or in vitro explants. Um, and the drug type cannabis strains it mentions are gen generally not genetically stable uh, when propagated through seeds. And even though there has been a little success in regenerating cannabis shoots from callus, the propagation of high THC drug type cannabis and tissue culture um, uh, and nodal explants has been described as well. So these plants have been shown to be genetically and chemically stable through 30 rounds of tissue culture propagation. And in this paper, um, they describe uh, effective methods for generating cannabis tetraploids from auxiliary bud explants and the subsequent analysis of polyploidy effects on growth yield phytochemistry uh, in a specifically drug type strain and uh, you know they mentioned how this research will lay an important groundwork for the development of improved cannabis strains and uh, novel germoplasm for breeding efforts um, the one thing i also want to add this paper is another canadian paper that we're actually working on um, this has been performed on the smith falls uh, location of canopy growth corporation um, one of our biggest licensed producers. So it's uh, quite interesting uh, to see, you know, some of the LPs producing um, the scientific research, which is pretty cool. And I'm complete. Thanks, Molly. <clears throat> um, really quick, Dr. Anna, can you give like a brief overview of like just what is like a polyploid um, <laughs> yeah. and describe all of that genetic fun stuff 
in, in, in ways that everybody can understand. I don't want to botch it. <laughs> I'll try. Um, so ploidy just refers to the number of copies of it, the complete set of chromosomes. So, for example, humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes were diploid, as is cannabis. So we have, we have um, 23 pairs. So actually we have 23 chromosomes, which come in pairs in somatic cells. So in your body cells, not your sex cells. Um, so ploidy just refers to the n number of copies you have in, in, your, in your normal uh, non-sex cells. So we are diploid. So we would have uh, 46 chromosomes um, in each cell and they come in pairs. So there's 23 pairs. So a triploid would have three complete sets of all of the chromosomes. So if you had a triploid human, which wouldn't be viable and wouldn't live very long, um, they would have three times 23 uh, in each cell. So they would have, what's three times 23 is 69. Um, and and then and then a tetraploid has four copies. So for cannabis, if, if it was a, a, a tetrapoid, it would have four complete copies of all the chromosomes. So we're looking at chromosome doubling since it's a diploid. It's going from 2N, which is the normal state for cannabis, to a 4N state where it has four copies of each chromosome in each cell. Oh, and it's different than a, a, like a, uh, a trisomy condition or something like that, like trice, like Down syndrome is just one extra copy of one of the chromosomes. So uh, Down syndrome is trisomy 21. So there's one extra copy of only chromosome 21. So it's not the same thing as that. Um, it, you have to have an extra set or extra copy of every single one of the chromosomes. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. And just to kind of where, kind of where we're headed, um, Ploidy happens and the splitting of chromosomes happens in mitosis, which is like the process of two cells splitting apart and dividing. Um, so let me get the paper up so I can kind of read this a little further. I'm going to cover the materials and methods and the results. So the, usually in a paper, this is like not something you would look at especially the materials and methods, unless you were actually going to reproduce the study. But it's really important because if you are trying to understand whether the findings of a paper are like reputable or not, you want to make sure that the, the methods that they took to get the results are actually valid and make sense. So I'm just going to kind of breeze through most of this because it's just just very very detailed but um so basically we're, our plant material is cannabis uh they they used the plants were provided by canopy growth corp which molly mentioned is in canada one of the biggest producers uh they were using two strains and in, uh initially one of them was a thc dominant indica strain we'll call that strain one and then the other one was a balanced THC CBD indica dominant hybrid strain. That is strain two. We'll get we'll get to what happens later. <clears throat> so 
they used uh, plant tissue culture as the method of growing the plants. So basically, they take tissue from the meristem and leave it on a piece of agar in a in a test tube, and the agar is um, enriched with nutrients that has everything that a plant will need to grow and um, certain hormones that will initiate production of the plant to start growing roots and stems. So what they did to, to induce the polyploidy was used a chemical called orizalin. I'm going to have to say that a lot. I probably will mess it up every time. Um, Basically, this kind of messes with that mitosis process um, where the chromosomes are being pulled apart. And it's just, it's doubling that. Maybe, Anna, um, is that right? Um, Is it just kind of messing with that process? So what it does, what this chemical does, is it stops the protein called tubulin from from forming spindles. It's an inhibitor for tubulin. So what happens in your cell when it's going to divide is it doubles all the chromosomes, and then they line up along the center. And then when the cell is getting ready to divide, the, these tubulin proteins, they're like long kind of strings that grab onto the center of each chromosome, and then they they pull it to each pole of each new daughter cell, what's going to be each new daughter cell. And so each one of these new daughter cells ends up with one copy or one or two copies of each of these chromosomes because that tubulin has grabbed onto those basically by the waist and pulled it to the poles. And so then the cell can split knowing that the, the chromosomes have been evenly distributed into each cell however if you don't have those that that protein um there and it's it's and you don't have those spindle fibers made and there's nothing to pull those chromosomes apart the two daughter cells split uh you're gonna have one daughter cell that has uh all the chromosomes and one that just doesn't have any and so you end up with uh, a cell that has twice as many chromosomes as it should have following cell division Mm -hmm. Thank you. So in order to confirm that this happened, they used flow cytometric analysis. Um, cytometry is basically um, looking using a microscope at a, at a cell and checking out what's going on in all the contents of that cell, including the cytoplasm. So basically they were able to microscopically see that they had the amount of chromosomes that they were looking for. Um, oh, they, they, there's a technique that they used to do that <clears throat> using, they basically just squished the, <laughs> the cell materials or the plant materials to see everything and squish out all those cells. Um, <clears throat> So then they analyzed the phenotypes, took care of the plants, 
they are also looking at oh, and they're kind of they're basically looking at every part of the plant from the leaf to the buds we'll talk about each of those sections and i kind of mentioned in the abstract all of the the findings that they had um including stomata so they they counted stomata and took pictures of them stomata are the little kind of air vents of a plant they they cover the surface of the top and bottom of the leaf the axial and adaxial surface we're also looking at trichome density and really like each of these sections are just kind of breaking down like how they looked at everything so i'm i just won't go into that <laughs> um they're they're analyzing the chemotype And they're using statistical analysis. They used ANOVA, T-tests. They used the statistics program R, which if you are familiar, you might think is the devil, but <laughs> it's also pretty awesome what you can do with it. If you're a student in any science, you might have used it, or if you are going into science, you probably will use it and want to become familiar. Um, and then. Excel would be pretty much what you plot your graphs on. There's a lot of cool um, charts and tables and graphs on this paper. Um, we probably will <laughs> kind of say that it, we we don't we aren't getting much out of it from this paper, but it's still cool to look at and understand. So we go into the results. So the survival rate and ploidy determination. Basically, they found that axillary buds treated with high concentration of orizolin, they had a poor survival rate, which makes sense because, like, one of their cells died in the process of trying to divide. Um, if we want to take a look at figure one, it actually has some cool pictures of um, the tissue culture process. So. They put a little chunk of apical of the the tip apical uh, meristem. Um, it grows, it grows, and then eventually it turns into a plant. They eventually it grows roots, and they can put it in the soil, so it's finished off in the soil. And you can see for, by these pictures, these do not look like your average cannabis plant. They're they're a little different. It's interesting. Like the leaves look so unique. Uh, among the different treatments, um, 20 and 40 micromoles of orizolin had the best survival rate and produced the greatest number of tetraploids. Um, so, they found, unfortunately, while the second strain of tetraploid shoots recovered in the tissue culture, they rooted normally. Unfortunately, strain one grew poorly it failed to root so they actually stopped further an analysis on any of the strain one plants so like from that point on we're just looking at strain two which is the balanced cbd thc um, strain um, but the ploidy level was confirmed oh sorry just using those root tip squashes um let's look at the tetraploid phenotype 
So that polyploid strain did show reduction in rooting success. The ploidy effects on leaf morphology were observed, and tetraploids had larger families compared to the diploids. Stomata on the underside of the tetraploid fan leaves were 30% larger, but half as dense compared to diploids. Mm, Really, all these results are very, very specific and technical. It's usually like percentages of differences between what we're looking like the control and the experimental. So tetraploid leaves had more trichome density compared to the diploids. The tetraploid yields were higher at, at harvest, but there wasn't really a significant difference in the whole plant weight or the weight of trim buds or trim weight versus tetraploids. Um, and no significant difference in the final dry weight of buds. So this data indicates that chromosome doubling had no significant effect on plant growth, maturity, or yield. Interesting. So the phytochemical content, um, the ratio of THCA to THC, or sorry, THCA to CBDA, um, it was pretty similar in both diploids and tetraploids. Uh, there was a little bit more CBD than THC, but overall, not much difference. And tetraploids also showed an increase in the overall terpene content. Um, if you look at figure five, it shows pictures of, um, I guess this isn't terpenes, but it's the trichome density. You can see that the diploid kind of just has a few trichomes going on, and the tetraploid is just like covered with it. Um, some, so overall, the terpenes did increase in tetraploids, um, and significant, um, specific terpenes um, also showed a difference. They looked at limonene and a few others. And that's kind of it. It's just kind of breaking it down section by, or like part by part of the plant to see if anything changed between the two. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any other tables or charts that are worth talking about. In figure three, there's a picture comparing the diploid and tetraploid fan leaves. And you could really tell they're different. Like the, the diploid looks like your normal cannabis leaf, but the tetraploid you can see is a little a little longer. The leave the the lanceolate leaves the and they're like wider. The margins got wider. And there's also a picture of the the stomata. They look bigger in the tetraploid but there's less there's like three in the picture of diploid but two big ones in the picture of tetraploid and that's kind of it i'm gonna let dr anna kind of take it away with the discussion because that'll be a little a little more helpful i think maybe <laughs> so, <laughs> so the results is just you know kind of them reporting what they found but the discussion is sort of 
the meat and potatoes of kind of combining what they found and what exactly all that means. So they did treat they did the treatment with a Riesling and they they concluded that this is an effective method for chromosome chromosome doubling, which they had two strains and they were able to create tetraploids. So um, it was effective, not at higher concentrations, but it was effective at the 40 to 60, uh, 40, 20, 20 to 40 micromolar um, concentrations. And this is kind of good to know because um, colchicine, you have to use a lot more of it. This is um, uh, 20 to 40 micromolars is a 30 times lower concentration than you would use using colchicine. Um <laughs> But I just learned today from uh, Dr. Grant, who was in the audience, but he probably had to go put his uh, kids to bed, that um, Riesling is really kind of a toxic chemical, and you have to use it in a hood. You shouldn't use it at home. So if you're planning on creating polyploids at home, um, probably Riesling is not the greatest method to use. Um we also need to recognize in the discussion here that the THC dominant strain didn't root and that both of these are also indica types. So that's something interesting to note when we're talking about this and seeing that some of the results weren't particularly successful um, and that perhaps this, this, this study could be expanded. But the THC dominant strain didn't root and so it didn't even make it to any of the the, the um, analysis and the results. So all of the results that we're talking about are only applicable to the, the balanced THC, CBD, indica-leaning hybrid strain that they used in this study. And only seven eventually of 15 plants made it into the analysis. Uh, so we're assuming they said that... Um, not uh, so they said the seven made it one was a mixed diploid which means that the, the the tetraploid status with the chromosomes didn't wasn't stable and so it changed from being a tetraploid probably went back to a diplo diploid or it was it had a little bit of both so it really couldn't be um included in the study and then they did have a ninth plant which but they didn't say what happened to that one maybe it just died because we all know that when we're growing baby plants some of them don't make it um, they did note that the tetraploid clones were not as healthy as the diploid clones. Obviously, a lot of them died, but also they had, uh, they were, they were on the struggle bus a little bit getting started. They started out slow, but once they made it, um, they did grow pretty similarly and flower, uh, similarly to the diploid clones. Um, there was no difference between the diploids and tetraploids in bud yield. So, um, again, please remember that this is only one strain. Um, there was no difference in bud yield. So between, between the diploid and the tetraploid. So, uh, this study is saying that you don't get bigger, fatter buds, at least with this particular strain when you have a tetraploid. So then, um, there's table. Um, I don't know which table is it. So some of these figures, I when you're looking at them, uh, table four and figure seven. I pers this is a personal um, preference, but to me it looks kind of confusing because they've set it up where it's diploid bud, 
then diploid leaf, then tetraploid bud, and tetraploid leaf. And what we're really comparing here is diploid to tetraploid, not bud to leaf. And um, yeah, so I would have preferred to have seen these these figures and tables set out a little different where we've got diploid bud directly compared to tetraploid bud. So you're comparing column one to column three and diploid leaf column two and tetraploid leaf in column four um, when you're reading those um, when you're reading those values. And the same thing in figure seven, they've got graphs here where uh, next to each other is bud and leaf as opposed to bud and bud from diploid and tetraploid. So it's, it looks, it's a little misleading when you're just kind of glancing at it. You kind of have to think about it a little bit more than just looking at it. Um, but nonetheless, um, um, we can see that there wasn't a whole lot of difference in um, a lot of these cannabinoids. The, the THC remained basically the same. We did have an increase in CBD, which is uh, interesting because potentially you could use this information to create a balanced THC CBD with an increase in CBD concentration, but again, this is comparatively a fairly small sample size that they ended up with um, as far as comparisons go because of it only being one strain um, and we only had seven plants that made it through to the end. Um, they do say, and I quote at the bottom of page nine, a widespread consequence of polyploidy is an increase in cell size caused by a larger number of gene copies. However, an increase in cell size does not always translate to increased size of the whole plant or its organs, since number of cell divisions in polyploids can be reduced. So there's a, a widespread sort of um, theory that creating polyploids is going to make bigger plants, bigger yields, fatter buds, um, everything's going to be twice as big, twice as much, twice as grand, um, which just is not really the case. And they quite boldly state that here in the discussion. Um, the tetraploids did have the 30% larger stomata, so each actual, you know, uh, hole in the bottom of the leaf was bigger, but there's half as many at uh, about 46% less. Um, no difference in THC concentration. There was a, almost a 9% increase in CBD. There was 30% less CBG, which was interesting. And they compared this to another study that was done on hemp, which showed that tetraploid hemp had a 33% decrease in THC. Um, so I'm not quite, and, and then no change in CBD. So I'm not quite sure what that means, except that in my brain, and I would have to draw this on a piece of paper because I'm very visual, but it kind of seems to me that, and they do say this in the paper, that together both their information that they found in this study and that hemp study um, suggests that ploidy possibly has little effect on the cannabinoid biosynthetic pathway. So just because you have a tetraploid doesn't mean <laughs> your THC or your CBD or your whatever cannabinoid that you're trying to increase um, in your plant, maybe that's not what's going to happen. 
Hold on, I need to have a drink on my throat. Okay, and then as far as um, the terpenes go, they did see uh, a, a little bit of an increase in humulene, bisabolol, I don't know how to say that, and neurolidol um, in the tetraploids. So that was kind of neat to see, um, uh, but it, I don't think it was a statistically significant difference in those. Um, so interestingly, if we think back to um, Casey and he, when he was describing the results, they, we did see an increase in trichome density. Um, and we did see a little bit of an increase. Okay, so increase in trichome density. What do trichomes do? Uh, they're the storage uh, facilities for, and, and, and I don't know if that's where it's manufactured. I think, I don't know. I'm not going to go into that because I'm not sure of the answer there. But nonetheless, we've got more trichomes. Why wouldn't we have more cannabinoids and terpenes? And we did show some of the terpenes increase. Uh, but overall, really, there was no change if we take all of the terpenes that they measured together. And then... Um, really the, the, the CBD and the, there was no increase in THC. So what's going on there? Not really sure. Um, but we did see, um, and that was in the sugar leaves with the, the increased trichrome density. So trimmed leaf material, um, they saw, uh, a, a lot more, yield in the in the phytochemicals and they suggested maybe using the sugar leaves for extraction purposes potentially doubling the production yield uh for the whole plant just by utilizing a tetraploid with no increased bud density but with the increase in the sugar leaves that would definitely increase the yield if you're using it for extractions um and I guess I can go on to the conclusions if you want, Casey, or I can stop there. But that's basically all I had to say about the discussion. Yeah, it, there is the conclusion section, right? Yeah, okay. So I guess the main conclusion of this paper is that tetraploid cannabis plants grow normally, apart from the reduced rooting and have similar chemical profi profiles to diploids with notable increases in CBD and sesquiterpenes. That was like, if we wrap everything up that they did in a nice little package with a bow, that's what this paper is saying. Um, the um, concluding statement, like the very kind of last thing that they say in the paper is that the key development in this study was, that the, was the establishment of an efficient method of producing polyploids in cannabis laying the groundwork for larger scale production and the assessment of tetraploids and downstream breeding of improved cannabis varieties for both the medical and in recreational industries, blah, blah, blah. But I really, that first statement really sticks out to me. The key development in this study was the establishment of an efficient method of producing polypoids in cannabis. I have to question though, with the amount of clones that died and, and the inability of, you know, more than half of them to root, is this really an effective method. I mean, I don't want to say either way. I'm going to stay on the fence, but I thought that was an interesting thing that they said, but I do think that this was pretty cool. Um, just because it was the first one of its kind in a drug type cannabis. And, 
there were some limitations to the paper, but it does open up the floor to expand this research because they did poke some holes and shed some light on some of these things that we're very interested in, um, in, you know, uh, cultivation of cannabis and the cannabis industry. Um, but this particular study to me was a whole lot of work for not a lot of, not a lot of really cool results. And I, um, um, but yeah, I mean, we are only looking at, you know, two strains max of half of one, one whole of one whole of the strains that were used, you know, one half of the strain, they just didn't even make it. So we don't even know anything about that because didn't make it. Um, but maybe there are other types of cannabis that would lend better to this type of application and produce significant differences, uh, with a tetraploid, um, with, you know, four copies of chromosomes. Uh, but overall, you know, the sample was small and I mean, if I was still in a research lab with, uh, the ability to do this and the, and the resources to do this, I would absolutely start messing with this and start seeing if there are other types of cannabis that have the potential to um, utilize the four the four sets of chromosomes differently than this this one did um, and I'm done <laughs> this is Molly yeah I was actually gonna you know mention the same thing because we sort of you know went over that in our production meeting and uh, it really kind of stuck out with me because um, as somebody who's worked for these large producers and as someone who sort of was doing a couple of um, R&D projects. Um, unfortunately, I think it's just sometimes really hard to justify the value of taking up the space and like, you know, plant material, blah, 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 to do the research. Um, but at the same time, given that Canopy is such a huge corporation, I was quite surprised that the sample size that they chose to go with was so low. Um, you know, especially in a lot of these large-scale production facilities. Um, as somebody who's worked on the propagation side, it's something that I see all the time everywhere is where they lose a very high percentage of their clones when they do their cloning events. Um, and, you know, we could go into a whole lot of reasons why that happens, but the problem is that, <laughs> you know, if you know you're losing half of your cuts a lot of the times, Maybe the sample size should have been, you know, 30 or 50 to begin with so that you do have that cushion to fall back on and, you know, produce better results. Um, the other assumption, you know, I have since they did take these plants through the entire cycle is, you know, maybe they were giving a certain amount of space and this is the maximum amount of plants they could be, you know, fitting into that. Uh, for myself personally, it was extremely hard, again, to justify doing certain things. And uh, I did a wonderful pheno hunt. It was a lot of fun. But again, the resources for that research and development project were so tied up. And it was really hard. And for me, it was very interesting. I didn't actually know that you could do research with such a small sample size. Because as somebody who produces my own medical cannabis at home, uh, my sample size of clones I do at home is like, you know, triple of what these guys did. So definitely, you know, something that's pretty interesting to, I guess, come across. Um, you would think that with a lot of the money and resources and these big places and all that, you know, this would have been a bit more um, elaborate, but also hoping that, you know, 
the fact that this was so small will give other people a push to actually do, you know, larger sample um, researches because it, it is an interesting topic and I would love to learn more, but also relying on the results that came from nine plants is a bit, you know, doesn't feel 100% right. Um, because it's the same thing we talk, have discussions with other growers on certain methodics. You know, one person did it all their whole life and they were getting certain results. This person did their whole life, they were getting a certain result. But then we never like actually take that as a fact because we say, oh, well, you know, you've done it, but you did it at home or in a small environment or in a small size. But then you have a paper like this where it's only nine plants and they're trying to make a conclusion on that. So I just think that's pretty interesting. And I'm done. Yeah. And I just, I'll, I'll just, to that, I'll just say, usually in research especially involving plants i think you'd want at least like a hundred um a hundred plants to get a, a reliable statistical analysis um but yeah this i yeah it is unfortunate that this paper didn't really give us much but i think it's really cool like i feel like I mean, especially with cannabis, but with a lot of different plant research and science, you know, they, we, there's so many variables that you can mess around with and inputs that go into the plant to, to see what, what comes out of it. But now we're even taking it to like messing with the genetics and, you know, cellular reproduction. It's, or I guess cellular division. And just kind of seeing what we get. I mean, I guess that that can be what it takes to to really see a, a, any kind of improvement in yields, because we've are I think we've already taken it as far as we can with like um, amendments, and you know we're getting. I think the the industry is like getting better and at least the quality of amendments and like trying to match maybe what like nature would actually be providing. But there's only so much that a plant can take up. So now I guess we have to try messing with the genome and messing with the down to the cellular level to see what ends up happening. Um, Dr. Anna, do you have any knowledge of like how looking at ploidy um like what other plants out there are have been looked at or like what like what's going on because i know in botany we learned about like i feel like uh the brassica family has like a really messed up ploidy system like there's crazy different types of polyploids is that correct um, I, uh, no, I mean, I mean, Arabidopsis is, your, is the model organism. So of course it's genome is not messed up. I don't know about other mustards, but, um, there are a ton of plants that are either natural polyploids or induced polyploids. So I, uh, peanuts, bananas, potatoes, dandelions are triploid, um, which is why dandelions are now mostly clonal organisms because triploids can't. Um, reproduce sexually because uh, when it goes to split during meiosis, so basically you're trying to get one set of each chrome of the chromosomes, and you and it, it messes it up. So 
anyway, um, and, and yeah, so triploids don't do well and generally go towards asexual reproduction. So all those dandelions that you see in your yard are almost, they're, they're, they're clones of each other. So that's interesting fact number one. Uh, the other example that I love to use because we have a wild type and a common type that we are also familiar with is strawberries. So I don't know where y'all live and if you have wild strawberries where you live, but wild strawberries, if you've ever seen them growing in the mountains or in your backyard or whatever, they are tiny. They're about a centimeter long. I'm going to use centimeters because I know uh, that's what the most of the world uses and America's weird. If you don't know how long a centimeter is, it's about a half an inch. Very small. Uh, but the strawberries that we go to the grocery store and buy to eat are huge com compared to that. Those are, so wild strawberries are diploid. They are 2N, just like us in cannabis. Uh, the strawberries that we buy at the grocery store are 8N. So they have eight copies of all the chromosomes. And in order to fit all of those chromosomes in those cells, uh, they need a lot more room. And so those octoploid strawberries are huge. And I know that I said earlier, according to this paper, that having more chromosomes doesn't always equate to bigger because cell divisions can be less. Uh, but in this case, it does equate to that. And we do this. Uh, we, we do this in crops to make them bigger, fatter, juicier. Um, and the other thing we do is make it so that things can't breed. So if you're familiar with Oregon CBD, it's a, a cannabis company out of <laughs> Oregon. Imagine that. Uh, they do they do CBD and CBG varieties right now. Um, but the Crawford brothers own it, and their uh, ex their 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 director of R and D and scientific um, magician, their scientific wizard, managed to create a triploid line. So basically, what that means is they have triploid cannabis. Uh, that they're now selling in seeds that cannot be pollinated by other diploid cannabis plants around. So you can grow your hemp plants outside without fear of your beautiful medicinal buds getting pollinated by your near next door neighbor hemp who's, you know, a hemp farmer who's growing for, let's say, grain or fiber. So that's like super amazing and um you know, probably one of the most exciting, uh, what do I want to say, exciting uh, things to, that's gone on as far as genetics goes in cannabis for a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I have seen, I, there's some other claims to uh, polyploids out there in cannabis um, that have shown, like that hemp paper. Um, and I think I, there was another one that showed um, a, a significant difference in bud size and yield, so weight, biomass. Um, but these studies are few and far between, so I'm wondering how successful they really are. Um, the triploid line that Oregon CBD has, it seems to be significantly bigger. I mean, not like the strawberries, but it's bigger. You get bigger yields. Um, and, and some of the farmers are now reporting back saying it's pretty impressive how much they're getting from these plants. So um, this I don't think this study is is conclusive by any means, especially given 
the small size of this study. Um, I, but it, you know, it's definitely, then it's not a dead end as far as this kind of research goes. I'd love to see some more um, money being thrown into this ring to look more at polyploids in cannabis. Um, yeah, I guess that's all yeah. I need to say. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about, you know, publishing scientific experiments like this is that someone can read it and be like, whoa, let's do this bigger, but use their methods. So the methods are here. We have the foundation. It's just we need somebody can just come along and try some different strains, maybe tweak the methods. But yeah, inconclusive, but we're getting there. That's what grad school's for. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, At this point, I wanted to open it up to the the audience. Um, If anybody wants to raise their hand, come up to the stage and ask a question, or you can put it in the the discussion below. Let us know if you have anything you want to talk about regarding the paper or anything in general with cannabis. Hello, Mark. Hi, guys. Um, I, this is super, super interesting. Someone um, tagged me in the room, and I, I love talking about plant genetics, actually, just as a kind of fun hobby. Um, my question is actually has to do with the fact that I've been reading about cannabis genetics, and there is some debate as to whether um, the three uh, established species are actually more like a species complex where it's not really cut and dry because some people think that uh, cannabis indica should be just put into cannabis sativa, their um, variety indica, instead of it being its own species. Um, I don't know how that would kind of play into creating um, polyploidal plants. However, I know that... Um, Oftentimes, the reason why a polyploid like or like a tetraploid plant won't, um, won't work is because there is certain genes that are not compatible with each other. And unfortunately, I think because cannabis has been so heavily bred that it's their genetic, their genome is kind of a mess now. So um, what are your thoughts on that, like genetic studies or mapping and how that could help with um, future breeding? And what are your thoughts on whether indica is an actual species or not? Thank you. I suppose that's a question for me. Hi, Mark. Um, I am actually a bona fide PhD cannabis geneticist. um, And I am in the camp of cannabis is one species. There is not enough evidence morphologically, geographically, genetically, or any other method that we might delineate species. There's not enough there to call indica or even ruderalis for that matter um separate species some some of us and we argue us taxonomists and geneticists argue about this um some would like to see a subspecies definition i still don't think there's enough um enough to separate everything because we know that cannabis can freely interbreed everything is they all have the same chromosome number Uh, The genome is a mess and it is because of, you know, us messing with it for such a long time and cross, you know, just hybridizing and selecting and um, there's lots of duplication uh, uh, in in, uh, all over the genome. 
Um, but I, I am of the camp and, and there's people who are splitters and there are people who are lumpers. I am a lumper. It's all cannabis sativa. It is one species. Um, and the differences that we see in phenotype, uh, or in geologic or geographical regions is purely due to phenotypic plasticity, not because it is genetically divergent as we would expect to see in species delineation. Um, and that doesn't really, as far as polyploidism goes, um, naturally polyploids are generally because of two closely related species with different numbers of chromosomes somehow get together and they are able to create offspring. And that's where the polyploid event happens and that's where stuff gets messed up. There are no natural known polyploids in cannabis which also lends to the fact that they are one species because otherwise if they weren't we would potentially see some sort of polyploid somewhere but we don't see that so there's multiple lines of evidence to say that all cannabis is one thing and um you can just rest easy at night not wondering about that anymore i hope that answered your question i'm done it does, thank you, because now I know why they're trying to make polyploids in a way that uses um, chemicals derived from the autumn crocus, which I think is fascinating because they use it for other plants as well. But um, these tetraploids are so common in in plants, actually. So it, it's just it's just very fascinating. So thank you. That was um, a great answer. Thank you so much. That was an awesome question, Mark. Thanks. It's kind of funny because it related a little bit to our first paper, which dealt with um, the taxonomy of cannabis. Because you mentioned there was a debate about three three different species. Um, anyone else? Matthew, you look like you jumped up next. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dr. Matthew Indes here. Um, I'm an agronomist with CuraLeaf. Um, and so very interested in having these discussions as a plant scientist and kind of exploring what the body of knowledge is for cannabis. So it's great to have these kind of discussions with, uh, you know, people like yourself and, and Dr. Anna and everybody else on here. Um, my contribution is more of commentary on the paper um, as a whole. I, I think there's a, a lot of ways that this could have been expanded. So I, I agree with you guys on that front, um, both in the plant count that was used, there may have been limitations uh, due to the success rate of that. Um, so I do agree with them in the end that this is a demonstration of a, I wouldn't say efficient method, like you know, Dr. Anna was saying, wouldn't say it's an efficient method, but it is a method of establishing polyploids, um, less so than it is demonstrating the, the value of a polyploid, because um, clearly the, the data didn't indicate um, a economically beneficial impact. Um, there were a couple things missing. I, I noticed that they didn't really discuss in their methods um, what the EC or the pH of their feed were, um, nor the plant density that these were grown under. Um, I might have missed that, but that's just kind of scanning it. So, you know, in terms of being reproducible, um, you know, that's something that, that I would have liked to have seen in the paper. Um, and then also for the trichome density measurements, um, looking at the images online, you can certainly see that there's uh, differences there between diploid and uh, tetraploid. Um, but I'm wondering if they made any distinction between stalked trichomes 
and sessile trichomes, which are more like embedded in the weak tissue. Um, those are different, you know, they, they actually are, there's evidence to say that they produce different compounds, um, preferring monoterpenes or sesquiterpenes. So that could have been part of the influence there, but um, I couldn't really see in the paper how they distinguished between the, the trichomes and the method that they used to physically count those. Um, so, yeah, that was one of the limitations. And um, yeah, I guess in regard to the, the chemotype analysis, um, I guess more data is always better. It's kind of hard to extrapolate from a half gram sample out of a 34 gram plant. Um, I always wonder if that's really representative of a natural product like cannabis, just because there's so much variation depending on, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on where that sample came from. Um, so that's just, you know, some of my commentary there is wondering how they sampled some of these tissues, whether it was a whole plant that was homogenized first. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, research yet to be done on the sampling and how we do these tests for cannabinoids, whether it be for marketing or for research, <clears throat> excuse me, to really understand, you know, what is a 20% versus a 30%? Is it sampling error? Is it an actual, you know, representative batch? Um, so these are all very interesting things that came up. Um, and one thing too, I also noticed that they didn't normalize or they didn't mention any kind of normalization for moisture content, which, which they show in the paper is that cell size increases um, in the tetraploid, but total dry biomass does not. So is it possible that the, you know, wet material is just there because the larger cell size um, and that cytoplasm being larger, um, but then they're not seeing any real increase in, in dry biomass. So anyway, just kind of a lot of things that I was thinking about while I read the paper and, um, you know, don't really think that there's any ways to answer this other than to say that it was beyond the scope of the research. Um, but just wanted to share that uh, as my thoughts reading the paper. That was awesome commentary. Thank you, Matthew. Did you have something to say, Dr. Annabas? Uh Well, yeah, like, thanks, Matthew. And also, um, great insight. I, I thought the paper said that there wasn't really any difference in biomass, wet or dry. I guess I missed the part where it said the cell size increase. I don't know if they looked at cell size, did they? I don't know. I didn't. No, they didn't. Um, I guess that was a suggestion that polyploidism increases cell size, right? Yeah. But yeah, it didn't that was necessarily a... increase the biomass. So it's assumed that, well, it's the moist, it's the cytoplasm, or there's, you know, it's a moisture difference uh, if the plants were the same size, but no difference in biomass or, the, or that the leaves are bigger. Sorry, the leaves were bigger size. Um, but I would have liked to have seen, yeah, a cell count, um, like a cell density or cell size as an so addition I, to this. I think when they were saying that, that the widespread consequence of polyploid is an increase in cell size, I think they were saying this as like a, like a call to, um, this is an assumption that people make and is not necessarily true. Because then they go on to say um, that cell size doesn't always translate to increased size in the whole plant or its organs. Um, because of, you know, maybe less cell divisions, but yeah, they didn't see any difference in biomass wet or dry. So I'm assuming that, um, maybe the cells weren't bigger. I don't know. And it seems like they had sort of, it was interesting to me that the trichome density 
was in the sugar, in the, you know, was it all over or was it just in the sugar leaves? The sugar leaves are the ones that had the major terpene difference, made the phytochemical difference, which is where maybe Matthew, you know, your suggestion of figuring out which trichomes were they um, that were, you know, was it all the same all over or, or was it a specific type of trichome that was more, um, concentrate on the sugar leaves compared to buds, whatever the case may be. But yeah, they definitely skip over some stuff or, you know, maybe they don't know and they just, and then the reviewers didn't ask and, you know, don't ask, don't right. tell, right? Yeah, well, and so, yeah, so the leaf size was different, right? They showed that the tetraploid leaf was wider and bigger. But that was the fan leaves. That was just the fan leaves, not the sugar right. leaves. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, who knows? I mean, this was sponsored by Canopy, so maybe... There's certain aspects like the EC and pH. Maybe they don't want to reveal some of their <laughs> cards. I don't know. Um, it could be part of it. Well, uh, yeah. they, they disclosed their emails on the front page, right? Oh, I already <laughs> hit up uh, Dr. Parsons. Did you? You already <laughs> emailed? It. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to be anymore. Um, yeah, but uh, this is a very interesting paper. And, you know, I think that there's worth exploring and i'm very interested in hearing how crops turn out with oregon cbd since they've kind of commercialized that so i think that'll be really telling feedback um on on this you know oity topic well and there but they're also hemp types right and uh oh we could, we should probably have an offline discussion about this <laughs> unless everybody's super interested in this but um you know the autoflower types uh, that are produced through, you know, an, in, an injection, for lack of a better word, of ruderalis has now um, even increased that hemp, hemp signal. And I feel like if, you know, and we've got polyploid papers that say that it is, that it does affect hemp. Uh, but it, like this is apples and oranges right now because this paper does is on a drug type, but it was such a, minimal study that I don't know that we can compare the hemp papers that had results in it to this one or we do know that you know hemp types and drug types are genetically diverged from each other um, which is interesting because going back to Mark's question it's not the species that we thought it was but hemp and drug types do quite quite well di um, differentiate um, genetically and what's messing that up is this auto flower business going on. Um, so, and I have seen that some of the people that are growing Oregon CBD triploid seeds this year are, are impressed. So yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see what comes back um, with what they've distributed so far this year for, for their triploid lines. And, and it's more than just the CBG. It's like they have a triploid for everything now. Right. It seems like they've been working on polyploidism for a while to the where they could commercialize it more than one line. Um, you know, so I think that that lends to what you know, kind of the discussion here is it's not, you know, and, and there's there's issues with with tissue culture, I would say, as well. I mean, it's not a tried and it's not always perfect method. So there could have been complications with that um, that limited their ability to actually get these out of culture and transplant them into propagation you know, media or something. That. So, you know, it, it could be that it like this was only one cultivar that was examined, 
and that you know practically you know if we looked at more that there might be some more winners out there just depending on that genetic background that's used to indu induce the ploidy uh, tetraploid event I agree. And I feel really bad that I don't know his name, uh, but the the scientist behind, the geneticist behind the whole development of Oregon CBD's triploid line has since left Oregon CBD and is now pursuing a career at a university as a tenure track professor, I believe. So I don't know. I mean, this, the Crawford brothers, um, one of them, I'm not, I get them confused all the time, but one of them, I think it's Seth, um, has a degree that could um you know keep keep going on this genetic work but also they have the money now to hire another geneticist to keep going with this work um but yeah the guy who successfully made the triploid line is no longer with them so it will be interesting to see if they keep going also if you know if cannabis is legalized federally are they going to transfer this this technology into thc lines yeah, I'm sure somebody's doing the work on it somewhere. Awesome. Well, I think this has been a very successful book club meeting. And how about you, Mark? You said you got pinged in by somebody else, right? I did, and um, I'm very interested. Um, I'm a bit of a plant nerd myself, and I'm also very interested in, in cannabis in general. Um, what I find interesting is that, <laughs> is that um, unfortunately, because um, cannabis is not... Um, legalized at the federal level at the moment, um, all that federal money that could be kind of pushed into research is not available and blah, blah, blah. So you're getting a lot of this research is independently done or done in other countries. But um, the thing is that you have, if the United States, if it was uh, legalized federally, then that's where you could get like huge studies done. You know, um, unfortunately, that's not the case at the moment. But I'm I'm just very interested to see how things uh, resolve, and um, I'm just very interested in the subject because I think at the moment I feel like we've still just scratched the surface when it comes to genetics and cannabis because a there's a lot of like yeah it's like this but we're not exactly sure and blah 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 there's there hasn't been enough huge studies done where you can kind of instead of having a correlation you have a causality so um, very interesting um, discussion and thank you guys. You're welcome. Yeah, the fun the funding is is definitely an issue. Um, the you know USDA has um, opened up a lot of doors for universities to pursue hemp type cannabis, which you know for for lack of access to being able to study things that cross that 03 percent threshold magic line hemp is a good proxy and it is the same species so potentially what you find in hemp should be tra translatable somewhat to the drug types but um yeah the dea and um nida and the nih have really limited whole plant research because you know the nih is really only interested in in isolate and um, research for specific health and, um, you know, public health, safety, that sort of thing. They really don't care about the, the plant. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, research for us researchers in the cannabis world has really kind of been, especially in university settings, you know, I mean, as far as like 
you know, big companies and stuff, they can do all the, the research they want, but they're very unlikely to publish it and let everybody know what they're doing, first of all. Um, and if they were to do that, you know, and they had that sort of idea in mind, then they would generally partner with some sort of university to legitimize it and not seem like they're, you know, following their own agenda. So it really has like handcuffed us as researchers. Um, my PhD was incredibly difficult to do with no money and um, uh, no support from the, the, the normal uh, avenues for funding and, and grants and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a recurring theme in this room that we are upset about <laughs> um, the current situation of cannabis research <laughs> when it comes to like institutional levels. Yes, sir. But at least we are building the community and we will be here for the science when it comes to us. And we have awesome scientists like you doctors that are not only doing the experiments but helping to spread the word about it and decipher what the heck is going on because we can't all understand what the heck even a polyploid is so glad we're doing yeah totally like i love teaching people about this stuff and i know there's a lot of misconceptions and it's nobody you know it's not the fault of anybody but for example you know and we've talked about this before for example like the the misconception that when somebody sees faciation they automatically assume it's a polyploid they really don't know what a polyploid is and that and so discussing what a polyploid is and what faciation is and different mutations and why does this plant look like this and, you know, all these different things, like it really helps. And then it doesn't matter as, as long as we can get to a few people, then those few people are going to talk to a few people and maybe those people will talk to a few people and we'll start, you know, this momentum of, you know, knowledge that has previously sort of been um, squashed and pushed underground and somewhat distorted uh, to a point where we now need to, um, you know, bring out some education and, and put some science behind it and um, light a fire under people's asses about cannabis science. Yay, verily. <laughs> uh, unless there are any last questions, comments, or concerns, this might be the conclusion of this week's book club. Um, just so y'all, uh, we'd love to have everyone that came in this week back next week for our discussion regarding hermaphroditism. Uh, we've got another experimental um, research article coming up. We'll be sharing that in the telegram chat as well as instagram and anywhere else you can find resonate radios updates um, molly maybe you can talk a little more on that this is molly thank you casey and thank you everyone so much for coming and participating uh this is a lot of fun i apologize for a bit of a background noise uh, my plants are back on so i gotta do some tending so this is a perfect timing um yeah, the schedule for this week is posted um, on our Telegram community chat. I've just posted that here in the 
uh, green room test so that um, those of you who, who are not part of it yet can join. Uh, Telegram, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing um, app. Uh, it does not discriminate against cannabis, so you know you definitely can um, have your content there. It's a safe app that's encrypted for messaging as well. So that's what we chose for um, our community, and that's where we also, you know, sometimes have our voice chats where we can just talk to each other, wake and bake, um, you know, and do all that good stuff. Um, there will be another session for the book lab next week. We are going to be talking about our hermaphrodite plants, so that's going to be. Um, pretty interesting. Um, you can also follow us on a Team Resonate account on Instagram. I have that in my profile um, here that is linked. I try my best to post as many updates there as possible. Uh, there will be a full schedule update in there as well coming a bit later tonight. And uh, yeah, we are just in a bit of a process of lining out, um, you know, kind of what we're doing here at Resonate Radio. For those of you who don't know, we have been uh, going live for a bit over a month um, in uh, June and July and uh, just taking a bit of a break right now to kind of uh, give everyone some rest and also, you know, brainstorm about uh, what the future has to bring because definitely community is there. Uh, people want to participate, want to help, and want to educate everyone. Um, it's just a matter of reaching um, the audience that is, you know, eager to. Um, get all this information because as much as I love Green Room uh, and it's an awesome app to have uh, these type of uh, you know podcast talks and conversations, um, there are not that many people out there who know about it so far. So you know we just want to make sure that we try to reach as many people as possible out there and make sure that everybody has access to um, information about cannabis as well as have a safe space. Um, you know, with a community where they can talk about it and where they can ask questions and don't feel judged. So this is something that I absolutely love about it. It's definitely turning into more of a family thing at this point. And, you know, it's been absolutely humbling and uh, very special to be a part of this community with all of you. And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the Resonate Radio podcast. Thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. We appreciate the downloads, the follows. Leave us a review if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast. Please subscribe and hit the bell over on YouTube and Twitch. You can find us over there at Resonate Media. You can also find us on Instagram at Team Resonate also send us an email to info at resonatecannabis.com. I hope you all have a wonderful day and thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to us here on Resonate Radio. We'll see you again next time. Thank you.